What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is sponsored by Audible, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free 30-day trial at www.audible.com slash serial spoiler. We're also sponsored by Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash serial spoiler and using promo code serial spoiler at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Slate's Serial Spoiler Special. I'm Slate Senior Editor Gabriel Roth. Joining me from our brand new DC studio is Slate's Words Correspondent Katie Waldman. What's up, Katie? Hey, how are you? I'm this good. is a beautiful studio over here. Is it very confirm. fancy? Is it is it yes. way fancier than before? Yes, I just want to confirm everything implied by your tone of voice when you introduced the DC studio. I've heard other people talk about the studio, and I imagine now you being there in that studio in the sort of palatial glory of the new studio. Anyway, no one wants to hear about your studios. In case you're joining us for the first time, this is the podcast where Katie and I discuss season two of Serial, episode by episode, going deeper into the show's themes, exploring its characters and situations, and looking at the ways in which the podcast reverberates in the world. This week, we're Diving into episode nine of Serial's second season, cleverly titled Trade Secrets. Katie, we've zoomed back out two weeks ago in a special two-part episode. Um, we took a long look at Bo Bergdahl himself, the strange uh, and, and sometimes difficult character of the man who is at the center of this whole situation. Now we have zoomed out to the U.S. diplomatic efforts in Afghanistan. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting, obviously, in a very different way than the prior episode was. Interesting and frustrating. It was sort of like watching a chess match uh, between people who were terrible at chess. This sort of relentless stream of missteps and obstacles and almost not quite moments um, that are explaining why Bo is not able to get out until five years after he's captured. And I think the theme of the episode, to the extent there was one, is just how delicate and fragile diplomacy uh, can be. It's interesting because certainly one thing that is really clear from this episode of Serial and also just from um, history is, is that these diplomatic efforts in Afghanistan were basically a failure, right? They were not able to unwind the conflict. They weren't able to, to sort things out in Afghanistan or between the Taliban and the Karzai government in Pakistan and the United States. Maybe because the people involved are no good at chess, maybe because this particular game is just much too difficult for anyone to play successfully. Maybe this was a, a Gordian knot. Yeah, and actually I should add that maybe they weren't bad at chess, but they were doing the chess match in poor faith. Um, it did seem like there were a few moments where people did not want to 
reconcile or reach a peace on both sides. And those were especially frustrating, squandered opportunities, I thought. Bo Bergdahl, was he even there at all in this episode? I mean, no, nominally, a little bit, maybe towards the end. Um, I mean, did you miss him, I think is the question I would ask. It's a good question. I, I mean, no, I wasn't thinking, oh, I want to hear what Bo Bergdahl has to say about this, because, well, Bo Bergdahl was the least informed person in the world while this stuff was going on. He was in a box somewhere in, in rural Pakistan, I guess. Um, what was interesting, I thought, was when you zoom out this far, when, when you look at it, you know, from the perspective of the, the diplomatic engagement that, uh, you know, eventually resulted in Bo Bergdahl's release, um, he looks so small. As they say, it's it's two line items in a very, mm -hmm. very, very long and complicated document. But the implication of that is, well, this question that we've been looking at for this whole series is, is not one of the genuinely important things. It's a trivial thing that maybe we can use to do something else. Right. And it's interesting. Now we sort of have to recalibrate our view of Bergdahl as a diplomatic chess piece. He doesn't count towards anything larger than himself. And so we're thrust back on the question as Bo Bergdahl, like Bo Bergdahl, qua Bo Bergdahl, does he matter? Why do we care about this story? And I think that's going to get us back to, well, it's a human interest story. He's a person and he matters um, on his own terms. And I think as opposed to trying to paper that over, Serial uh, is leaning into that. It's interesting because if you had said to me, Serial is going to release an hour-long piece of radio journalism about the slow, laborious, ultimately entirely futile and unsuccessful efforts at diplomatic engagement between the U.S. and Afghanistan from 2008 to 2012 or, or whatever the period covered is, um, I would say, well, that sounds very, very worthy. And it's hard to imagine them getting a lot of people to listen to it. And it may be that, you know, the use of Bo Bergdahl as a sort of frame, as a story for this whole season, uh, in part allows them to do this interesting and worthy piece of radio journalism about a, a little corner of a recent historical event. But it's a, I mean... No, I mean, real talk here. Did you think the episode was boring? Did you think it was dry? Did it need more, you know, human emotion in it? I, I thought it was definitely dry. There's no doubt that it was dry, despite some really interesting stuff, mostly the anecdote about the Taliban office that's not allowed to be called yes. the Islamic Emirate. And then yes. the, somebody hangs the fucking sign on there saying Islamic Emirate and the whole thing is fucked. That's a classic one of those stories of like international diplomacy is just like every other stupid thing that happens in offices where people make stupid mistakes and yeah, fuck everything up. that was a up. highlight. I love that. I didn't find it boring, but I found it dry and slightly difficult. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I ooh, ooh, I hate that I'm saying this, but I did find it a little bit arid. You know, I wanted to know more about the players. I wanted to know more about especially um, Holbrook, uh, who was the architect of the reconciliation effort and seemed to be sort of trying to own that effort or that initiative when everyone else was walking away from it and saying, no, we need to use force. Um, I thought the, the sort of question of um, who is the handmaiden to who, is, is military force the handmaiden to diplomacy, or is diplomacy the handmaiden to force? I thought that was really interesting. But I, I had some trouble getting into it. Richard Holbrook, great figure and an important diplomat, 
But he, he didn't accomplish very much in Afghanistan. And the show doesn't make out that he did. But the suggestion that we get, I think, is that if Holbrook had lived, then maybe we would have made more progress. I think you come away from that episode feeling like Hillary Clinton was really doing her best to make peace in Afghanistan and Richard Holbrook was really doing his best to make peace in Afghanistan. And I'm sure that's true of Holbrook. Hillary Clinton um, was was firmly behind Obama in the decision to escalate the military presence in Afghanistan right at the same time that she appointed Richard Holbrook. It didn't really seem to paint a... a uh, an accurate picture of, of her participation in the Afghan conflict. She seems like too much a dove um, in the episode, you thought. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's very easy to say, like, oh, what a tragedy that these great diplomatic efforts never came to fruition. I think that paints too gentle a portrait of the American involvement in Afghanistan. Well, I'm not sure I bought the show's premise that diplomacy should take primacy over military force. Like, aren't they just sort of alternatives to each other? And one is a better alternative than the other. But I I don't see one as like the subservient art to the other, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing we can agree on is that the relationship between them is too complicated for us to resolve on this podcast and probably too complicated uh, for Serial to resolve on its podcast. Um, Fair enough. And that it's an interesting question and it's it's good for them to go into. But I, I don't know that they were able to elucidate that issue. Before we move on. A word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash serial spoiler and browse the over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash serial spoiler. That's audible.com slash serial spoiler and get started today. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. If you're interested in more American military intrigue, you might consider The Pentagon's Brain, an uncensored history of DARPA, America's top-secret military research agency, by Annie Jacobson, the true story of the Defense Department's most secret, most powerful, and most controversial military science R&D agency. Start your free trial today by going to audible.com slash serial spoiler. Here's what this episode really did offer for me, though, was a sense of how the process of making a deal between the United States and the Taliban and the, the Afghan government, the Karzai government, um, the way in which it's very much like the deals that people put together all the time in, in much smaller scales and civilian contexts. You have to go to endless meetings and everybody has their concerns and then things go wrong because people just aren't really listening to each other properly or they don't get back to each other quickly enough or everybody gets busy with something else and the momentum stalls. And one thinks of these sort of high-level international negotiations as taking place in a more urgent context and in a more rarefied sort of process. Uh, and that seems not to be the case. It seems like it's just this, the same crap that makes it so difficult to get anything accomplished in everyday life. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to unpack my response to this episode because I don't think... I, I said it, I thought it was dry 
and I don't think I was bored by it, but I think I was confused by it because I still don't quite have a sense what this season of Serial is about. Like, if it's about Bo Bergdahl or if it's about these larger things or if it's about both, which I think is what it wants us to think it's about. Um, and so, you know, when it went on these paths of exposition about who the people that Bo Bergdahl is being traded for are and what their pasts have been and what their histories are, I didn't know whether to take those as digressions or as necessary or sort of how to fit them into the picture that Serial is building this season. And I think I just don't have a clear sense of what the podcast wants to do or be. All of this information that was um, compellingly delivered, I still don't quite know what to do with it. All right. I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm going to mount a defense of Serial. I think part of what the show is trying to do in this season is playing with frames. I keep going mm -hmm. back to the, the Zoom book, the children's book that, that was discussed in the first episode. Uh, and typically when you hear a story um, in whatever form, but I'm, I'm thinking of the first season of Serial or I'm thinking of a This American Life story, which Serial spun out of, um, it has a frame, and the frame stays relatively consistent for the length of the story. We're hearing about, let's say, a family, or we're hearing about a guy at his job, or we're hearing about one country and another country, or we're hearing about soldiers on the battlefield. But you know generally what level the story takes place at. And what season two of Serial is doing is changing that frame from episode to episode and sometimes within a single episode because I think there's no real way to understand the totality of something like the Bo Bergdahl story within a single frame. On the one hand, you've got one man in a cage for five years. That's a frame. That's a story. We had an episode in which, like, that's our frame. On the other hand, you've got great power negotiations. I guess Afghanistan isn't a great power, but you understand what I mean. On the other hand, you've got people in Tampa or, or elsewhere in the United States who are lobbying the government, which is a sort of David and Goliath story in which there's a huge institution and a tiny individual trying to steer it in a certain way. Uh, for me as a listener and, and I think for, for the people making the show, it's hard to keep yanking the frame from big to small and back again. I just think it seems – sorry to interrupt you because I, I believe the argument you're making and I think that if they did it effectively, it would be really interesting. But it just seems very disorganized and messy and as if they're using the frame as an excuse. Like, we don't exactly know what we're doing, so let's throw in a bunch of stuff over here, and now let's throw in a bunch of stuff over there. Oh, those things don't seem related? Well, that's because we're widening the frame. Well, I mean, maybe you're right, and maybe uh, all the things you're pointing to um, are, are just sort of failures of craft. I wonder if when season two of Serial is over and we have a sense of the whole thing, um, part of what will stick with us is is the sense of going back and forth between the very big and the very small and um, the sense that those things are connected and that in order to understand a single story, you have to see it from both ends of the telescope. Yeah, I want to believe, like, I want it to work. And I also do think that these episodes are good, like they're good listening. I'm having trouble making it all cohere in my head, which could be a failure on my part. You might be right. And I, I'm I'm not committed to arguing that this season is working. Um, but at least thinking of it that way gives me a, a sense of, of 
maybe how they're thinking about what they're doing and how I should try to approach it as a listener. Sure. And perhaps the best way to assess this episode is to borrow some words from Sarah Koenig herself, who she's talking about the Bo Bergdahl rescue, and she says that his return wasn't a disaster and it wasn't an achievement. So <laughs> at the risk of sounding kind of harsh, um, perhaps that's how we can um, articulate our thoughts about this episode. Before we move on, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Casper. Don't go another year sleeping on an uncomfortable mattress. You deserve a good night's sleep, and now it's easy. Casper provides an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. These mattresses have just the right sink and just the right bounce. Two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, come together for better nights and brighter days. Even better is their risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. These are American-made mattresses that are affordable. $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that's an outstanding price. So don't wait. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash spoiler and using promo code spoiler at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Well, it's time to uh, share some listener responses to previous episodes. We've gotten some great emails, which we will now read for you. Our first letter this week comes from Chris in Kew Gardens, New York. In response to our one-part episode about the previous two-part episode of Serial, Chris writes, I have two comments, one lighthearted and the other more serious. First, when hearing about Bo Bergdahl's experiences in boot camp, did any of you find yourselves thinking of Buster Bluth from Arrested Development, an obviously unsuitable recruit, newly relaxed recruitment standards, drill sergeants who are no longer permitted to swear? Am I a bad person for making this connection? (laughs) Katie, is Chris a bad person? No. No, Chris, you're not a bad person. I don't get the reference myself, which maybe makes me a bad person, but you're safe. This is a safe space. Safe space for Chris. Second, and more seriously, Sarah seems to take more or less at face value Bergdahl's story that he wanted to be a soldier back then, during World War II or in 1800s Europe or in feudal Japan, and that he was bitterly disillusioned by the differences between his idealized notion of soldiery and the reality of serving in the 21st century U.S. armed forces. But surely he would have been equally disappointed if he had found himself serving in any of those armies of the past. World War II might possibly be a partial exception since the moral necessity of defeating the Axis powers may perhaps have made the hardships and frustrations and terrors of military life easier for at least some soldiers to bear. Despite which, the soldiers who fought in that war still had plenty of tales of misery and bad leadership and needless loss of life to relate. As for the other times and places, one can only conclude that Bo hadn't really read very much about the experiences of, say, the soldiers in Napoleon's army. Bergdahl's notions of what the army would be like were in fact no more rooted in reality than his dream of becoming Jason Bourne. He didn't just enlist at the wrong time, he enlisted on the wrong planet. We also heard from Alyssa on the revelation in last week's episode that Bo Bergdahl was homeschooled by his parents. She writes, 
As an ex-homeschooler, I immediately understood Bo Bergdahl when he mentioned his childhood as an isolated homeschool kid. Most people have no frame of reference for understanding homeschool isolation, so I think it's been passed over in most of the conversations about the last episodes. When a homeschool parent isolates a child, it creates a feeling of profound social alienation that can continue into adulthood. For homeschooled kids, the books and movies their parents allow are sometimes their only window into the outside world because they lack social interaction and access to other people who can shape their thoughts and norms. See the documentary Wolfpack for a perfect example of this. I think you can see hints that some of his choices and behaviors are flowing from what he absorbed from books and movies, his idealization of samurai warriors and Bruce Lee, his obsession with his dad's military history books, his decision to smoke a pipe because of its place in military history, his Ayn Rand references. And then there are elements of a certain homeschool subculture, usually conservative and religious, that dovetail perfectly with Bo's worldview, idealizing the bravery and simplicity of the past, embracing rigid and individualist moral codes, romanticizing violent masculinity and the idea that men are protectors of women and country. I wish that Sarah Koenig had probed this a little more. We've also been getting lots of interesting feedback from members of the military community. Here's one from Vince, who's a member of the Coast Guard. He writes... I'm enjoying the hot take from Slate and your dyed-in-the-wool civilian perspective. I'm a 14-year veteran of the Coast Guard, a dubious officer nonetheless, and some of my best friends are civilians. I wanted to thank Gabe for finally pointing out that Bergdahl is that guy, the stinky, pimply, antisocial kid we all knew growing up. You're welcome, Vince. I grew up in Idaho and know quite a few. Hypermasculine, obsessed with ninja stars, nonconformist. These folks are dangerous for the military. I'm glad the Coast Guard sniffed him out. Coast Guard boot camp is an extremely stressful experience, eight weeks of hell that never lets up. But it's all artificial. Even at the height of the yelling and stress, there's a little thought in the back of your mind reminding you this is all fake. The company commanders, drill instructors, they know just how to apply it and will even admit that it's not real. The real stuff happens in the field or when you are out on a 12-hour rescue for migrants or for some unfortunate family who took a sailboat out on the wrong day. We can't have people in our service who crack under the artificial stress because they probably won't make it when the real stress smashes them over the head. Shame on the Army for allowing Bergdahl back in under very suspicious circumstances. And finally, reflecting on the complicated issue of Bo's mental illness, as discussed last episode, a letter from Sherry, who writes... We give mental illness a pass until that mental illness crosses our path. That antisocial teenager back in high school, he was no big deal because other kids either avoided him or he only destroyed his life and the lives of the folks foolish enough to like him and or be related to him. But when someone takes a gun into a school or causes a massive military manhunt, whoa, 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 now mental illness is front and center. The story of Bo is not just the story of how the military deals with mental illness. It's the story of how the country deals with mental illness. I thought Katie's analysis was best. Oh, thank you. Bo was testing the boundaries. I doubt he had any idea of the ramifications of his actions. Now you've got a person ill-equipped to navigate daily life in the hands of the Taliban for five years. Now that person is vilified on an international stage. What is the punishment? The military altered their standards for entry, and they too paid the price. What is the military's continued punishment? Thanks for those great emails, and thanks to all of you for listening and sending your thoughts. As always, you can reach us at SerialSpoilerSpecial at gmail.com. And that's it for this episode. We'll be back in two weeks following the release of episode 10 of Serial's second season. 
The Slate Serial Spoiler Special is produced by Sam Dingman. We're a production of Slate's Panoply Network. Laura Mayer is our managing producer, and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Find us in iTunes and find more great Panoply shows at itunes.com slash panoply. 